We are on Ksuba Samach Dalar Amaral, 64a, as we continue in our discussion of the Mored and the Moredas. What happens when the husband is Mored, he rebels, and what happens if the wife is Moredas, she rebels? What are they rebelling about? So that is what we discussed uh, in last week's classes. Uh, everybody agrees that if they rebel with regards to being intimate, whether the husband refuses to be intimate or the wife refuses to be intimate, so then the punishment, or really the incentive uh, to cause them to change is that we either reduce her ksuba if she refuses or we increase her ksuba if it's the husband who is refusing. We did mention that there's an argument, there's a dispute in the Gemara with regards to what happens if they are rebelling with regards to other issues. Let's say um, uh, they both have various obligations. The husband has an obligation to support his wife. Uh, the wife has certain uh, obligations in terms of what she has to do in the, in the house. Uh, if they refuse to uh, to fulfill their obligations, so then is that also included in this law of Moredas that we reduce uh, her or his or, or, or increase the ksuba? Um, so that is a dispute. Now, when it comes to the ksuba, the basic amount of the ksuba is 100 or 200 that she generally receives. But what about the other aspects of the ksuba? That is something that we last discussed. This is what we left off with. What happens with regards to the nidunya? We know that if she brings in things to the marriage, so then that's also part of the ksuba, different uh, items that she brings into the marriage or property that she brings into the marriage. So then do we also deduct, deduct that? She should receive that when, when the marriage ends, either by death or by divorce. Uh, but do we, re, do we reduce that as well? So that was uh, unclear. That was not answered. That was a suffix. That was... Uh, unresolved. So now that it's unresolved, what is the law? So says the Gemara. This is what we're up to, about four lines from the top. Three, four lines from the top. Hashta delo itmar lo hachi hachi. Now that we do not know what the law is, this is a suffix. This is a questionable situation in the halacha, based on the halacha, based on the, we don't know what the law is. So So if she grabs it, it's something physical, tangible, that she could grab and holds on to it, so then we let her keep it, because we're not sure what to do. So if she grabs it, she could keep it. If she doesn't grab it, i.e., the husband still has it, so then the husband keep keep it. Basically, leave it where it is, and if they hold on, if they grab it, so then let them hold on to it. So this is a very interesting idea. We find this halacha, this, this principle, in many places in the Gemara, where if it's a questionable situation, we don't know... Uh, who the item belongs to. So then there's a concept that leave it wherever it is. And if one person grabs it from the other, so then they have a claim to that property or to that physical item, uh, that movable object. When it comes to land, it's different. Uh, But when it comes to a movable item, so then whoever grabs it, whoever holds on to it, so then they get to keep it because we're not sure who it belongs to. Uh, so there's a lot to discuss on this topic. If it's, uh, is this a, a, a law? Is this a, uh, a, an active law saying whoever has it, they could keep it. Or maybe, perhaps, the idea behind this is what we refer to as a siluk, that the court doesn't get involved. It's a questionable situation. The court doesn't get involved. And so, therefore, they remove themselves from the situation. So whoever holds on to it, it's basically a free-for-all. Whoever has it, so then they uh, they could keep it. Um, and the based in, the court essentially is not being proactive. They are removing themselves from the situation. What makes this case especially unique is that in general, when we apply this principle, everybody agrees that this principle can apply. Now, there's a lot of nuances uh, within every case, but uh, as a general rule, this would apply 
in a, question, in, a, in a situation where there's doubt, we're not sure about what exactly happened. What is the mitzias? What is uh, the facts on the ground? We're not sure what the facts on the ground are. And therefore, one person could grab it for the other saying, I know that this belongs to me. The person can claim with certainty, I know this belongs to me, and then hold on to it. That is, uh, seems to be agreed upon by uh, everybody. What's not agreed upon is essentially our situation, which is a unique situation because it's not a case where a person could claim, I know with certainty this belongs to me. The suffix, the question at hand is, what is the law? We don't know what the law is. It's not about, we don't know what, what, what the facts on the ground are. We know the facts on the ground. We just don't know that she's, she's rebelling. She's refusing to be intimate. We just don't know when it comes to the, 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 the incentive to have her change we know that it has to do with the ksuba. We don't know if it has to do with all aspects of the ksuba, of, of the nidunya, of what she brings, the, uh, the items that she brings into the marriage. We just don't know if it, if it applies to that as well. Um, so because we don't know that that applies to that, that is a suffix, that is a questionable situation in the law. And so nobody could grab it saying, I know with certainty. Nobody knows with certainty. Nobody knows what the law is. Uh, we don't know what the law is. So certainly they don't know what the law is. And yet... Uh, our Gemara seems to be saying that she could grab it even though she doesn't know whether it's hers or not. She doesn't know whether it's hers or not. So that is a big discussion whether or not uh, one could do such such a thing. The Rambam Maimani says that one could. It's not about them knowing with certainty that it belongs to them. It's just it's a questionable situation and therefore they have the right to grab it. Um, but it's really not so simple. Our Gemara seems to be a proof. Uh, the commentators try to explain why it's not necessarily a full proof. But it seems to be a proof to this idea of the Rambam of Maimonides that even though this is a suffix in Din, this is a questionable law, and therefore nobody has any uh, clear, they cannot even make the claim that it's theirs. They don't know whether it's theirs, they could still grab onto it. Okay? Anyways, that is that part of the Gemara. The Gemara continues and says, Umashinan la tracer yarchi shasa agita. Ubahanaf tracer yarchi shasa, less la mizoni mibao. We're not, there's different opinions amongst the commentators what exactly is the cases that we're referring to here. Um, but essentially, uh, we say that even if we deduct uh, from the ksuba, whether it's from him or from her, we deduct from the ksuba. There's a whole discussion how we deduct from the ksuba. Is it in one shot? Is it over time? But essentially, the Gemara seems to be saying that we give them 12 months. Even if we deduct from the ksuba, we give them 12 months. Uh, we don't want them to get divorced. We don't want them to divorce right away. We give them a year to figure things out. Maybe they'll uh, return back to what's nor- what should be. Um, and uh, they won't rebel anymore. And so therefore we give them 12 months before there's a divorce. We want to wait 12 months till they're, before they actually get divorced. During those 12 months, the husband does not have an obligation, says the Gemara, uh, to provide a sustenance to his wife. Because the wife, let's say if she's the one who's rebelling, so then she's the one who's causing this situation. He wants to get divorced, but we're telling him to hold off for 12 months, for a year. And so therefore he doesn't have to provide sustenance uh, to his wife in that situation. Okay. The Gemara now uh, will discuss the other cases. We had a few other cases besides for the classic case. The classic case of rebellion where he or she, either the husband or the wife, is refusing to be intimate is in a case where they're fully married. They're fully married. They live in the same house, and they are. Uh, one of them is refusing to be uh, to be physically intimate. But what happens in the other cases? Other cases that we've already seen in, in different uh, sources in the Brisa, 
uh, are cases of, let's say, they are halachically engaged. They are not even supposed to be intimate at this time. But what's the case where either he or she, let's say, refuses to get married? Only once they're married are they allowed to be intimate, and one of them refuses. They, they want to stay engaged, but they don't want to be fully married. They want to be fully married. So then, do we say that there's a concept of mered, of rebellion in that situation? Another case would be where um, the mered, the rebellion, is that it's a situation where there's the potential for yibum. Basically, the wife was married to the deceased husband. The, the husband passes away, now without any children. So now it's a situation where there's a potential for yibum. The brother-in-law and the sister-in-law have this connection. They have this zika. They have this connection where yibum or chalitza, either yibum where they essentially yibum means uh, they would get married. Uh, so that's one option of what would take place, even though in general a brother-in-law and sister-in-law cannot get married. In this case, this would be an exception to the rule. And in fact, it would be a mitzvah for them to get married. Or they would do chalitza. And essentially, we'll discuss uh, the Gemara. We'll have... Uh, different stages of the Gemara here, but uh, what happens if, let's say, according to Rashi, she refuses. She refuses to do what the husband wants, what the, not the husband, but the brother-in-law wants to do. So what would be the law in that situation where she refuses? Okay, so let, let's see. Let's see the Gemara inside. Amar of Tuvi bar kisna amr Shmuel. Shmuel says, kosinigeris merit ala rusavin, kosinigeris merit al shemeret Essentially, we write, uh, this is uh, the first time that we've seen this idea, that we write a letter of merit. We want to document proof that uh, one of them is rebelling. So we have to write a document that they are rebelling. So we'll write that document. This document is actually not even mentioned in the Shulchan Aruch or the Rambam in the, in the Code of Law. But uh, we see from the Gemara that there was a concept of writing so that we have documented proof. Uh, so we need a documented proof when it comes to them being engaged and refusing, one of them is refusing to get married. That is viewed as a, a real merit, as a real rebellion. Uh, but when it comes to the situation where it's a brother-in-law and sister-in-law that they're waiting to do yibam or chalitza, for that, we won't, if one of them refuses. Or according to Rashi, the way it is, is they want to do the opposite. Uh, so then uh, we will not write a document of proof. Uh, seemingly because uh, it's not halachically considered a, a state of rebellion to refuse to do yibam or to do chalitza. It's not called rebellion. Uh, so the Gemara asks a few questions on this. So essentially, the rebellion exists when they are halachically engaged. It doesn't exist when they are at the stage of to do, waiting to do Yibam Rechalitzas. The Gemara says, wait a minute, what happened to the b'risa that we had yesterday? That uh, the concept of rebellion applies whether they are halachically engaged, whether they're married, whether she is in nida, she had her period, or she's sick, or... And this is the key, or whether or not it's a sister-in-law, where they're waiting to do yibam or waiting to do chalitza. So it seems as though there is a concept of merit. There is a concept of rebellion in such a state to refuse uh, to do yibam or refuse to do chalitza. So the Gemara answers a few answers, different stages in the Gemara. So it might get a little confusing. But essentially, lo kasha, kan shetavahu, kan shetavahi. First answer is, uh, it depends. It depends who is rebelling. If uh, he is the one who's saying, let's, let's go ahead and do Yibam, and she's refusing, so then that's rebellion. But if it's her, she's the one who's asking uh, to, for it, she's asking for it, for the Yibam, so then, and he is, the husband is the one who's refusing, 
So then, that's not a, a situation of rebelling. That's not, him refusing is not rebelling. Why is it not rebelling? So the, as we'll see in this in the Gemara, it's not rebelling because the idea of rebellion is either to be intimate, to be physically intimate, or it's to fulfill the mitzvah. There's a great mitzvah of having kids. But that mitzvah only falls on the uh, man. Women are not commanded, they're not mitzvah, the way we paskin, this was a Mishnah in, in Tractate Yevamos, in Meseches Yevamos, only the husband has an obligation to have kids. The wife doesn't have an obligation to have kids. Obviously it takes uh, two to have kids, but the actual mitzvah only applies on the husband. Uh, some of the commentators point out the reason for this is that the Torah wouldn't obligate the wife to put herself in danger. It was definitely through, throughout history, it was dangerous to become pregnant. Uh, if it was a life-threatening uh, situation. Um, and therefore, the Torah wouldn't put an explicit commandment on the wife uh, to put herself in danger. So that's a potential reason why it's only on the husband and not on the wife. Obviously, you need the wife uh, in order to have kids, but the Torah wouldn't explicitly state an obligation to have kids on the wife because it's a dangerous uh, situation. So essentially, if he... Again, we're not talking about where they're married. Where they're married, there's a separate obligation... Uh, because the husband has an obligation to be intimate with his wife. That would be viewed as being rebe- rebellious. Uh, but when in a situation of, let's say, uh, they're engaged or they're waiting to do Yibam or Chalitza, that's also some sort of connection existing there. So if he's refusing, so it's not as bad because he's refusing. Okay, he's refusing for what? He's refusing for his wife to have kids. There's no obligation to be intimate at this point in time. There's an obligation. There's a, you know, they should get married, but... Uh, but the, the, she's basically refusing for them to have kids. Well, she's not obligated to have kids anyways. That's essentially what the Gemara is saying. So, So the Gemara says, well, if this is the case, this is the distinction that we're making, um, and that the merit, the, 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 the merit, the rebellion is coming from... Um, coming from, from her. But if he is the one who's rebelling, so then we wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't be viewed as, as, uh, as this uh, law of rebellion because he's uh, at this stage, it's not where they're married. It's uh, where they are waiting to do Yubim Rechalitza, him refusing. That's the case where we won't write a letter. We will not write a letter in that case. So if it's talking about where, essentially, Shmuel is talking about a case where he is refusing. He is refusing, and then we won't write a letter. So then, if it's a case where he's refusing, so then, It shouldn't be that we're writing a letter for uh, about her. It should be to her. The letters that we're giving is to her. When they are, There's a difference, essentially, the Gemara is saying, when they are engaged versus waiting to do Yibam. When they're engaged, we will we'll write a letter to her. And when they are waiting for Yim Rechalitza, then we won't write a letter because he's allowed to say that uh, he, he, his, his rebellion is not viewed as a real rebellion because uh, she's not commanded to have kids. Uh, so if she wants Yibam, so then uh, it wouldn't be uh, him refusing to do Yibam wouldn't be so bad. Or at least it wouldn't lead to a, a punishment, to a fine. So then the Gemara asks, the language should be that we write the letter to her. It shouldn't be about her, but it should be to her. In the case of where they're engaged, it should be to her. Sigmar says, yeah, okay, fine. Hello, Kasha, Tanya Larusa, fine. So change the language to an Arusa, that we write it to her. But the bigger question is, Name 
I don't understand. Why is it? If in the end of the day, his rebellion is not a rebellion when it comes to Yibam, is because she's not commanded in having kids. So then also when they are engaged, why do we write a letter? In the end of the day, she's not commanded to have kids. So then if he rebels and says, I don't want to get married, I want to continue in the state, I don't want to get married, how is that rebellion? In the end of the day, he's not obligated to, at this stage. They're only engaged. He's not obligated to uh, be intimate with her. That's only once they're married. And the whole idea is uh, so that they could have kids. That's not rebellion because she's not obligated in having kids. Sigmar says, no. Sigmar wants to say, no, maybe the reason why it's being rebellious is because she wants to have kids, not because of the mitzvah to have kids. She wants to have kids because then the kids later on will help her out in life. Uh, they'll, they'll help her out when she's older. They'll be able to, 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 to support her and, uh, and to bury her when, after she passes away. She wants kids so that they'll help her out when she gets older. Uh, and that's the rebellion. Sigmar says, so then that's no different whether or not it's an, an engagement or whether or not uh, she wants to do yibum to her brother-in-law. That logic applies in both situations. Essentially, the Gemara is asking, in the end of the day, we go back to our original question, in the end of the day, what's the difference between being engaged where it's, it is viewed as a rebellion as opposed to waiting to do Yimur Chalitza where it's not viewed as a rebellion? So the Gemara answers, You know what? The case is really where she's rebelling. We go back on what we just said. She is really rebelling. But it depends. What does the man, what does the, uh, in a case of an engagement, the groom, in the case of the brother-in-law, what does he want? In the case of Yibam or Chalitza, that's the question. If he wants to do Chalitza and she is refusing to do Chalitza, that's rebellion. If he wants to do Yibam, she's refusing to do Yibam, then that's not viewed as rebellion. That's what the Gemara says. The difference is, what does he want? If he wants chalitza, she refuses. That's rebellion. If he wants yibum, it's not a rebellion. The Gemara wants to know why. Why, why is it rebellion? When he wants to do chalitza and she's refusing, uh, why is that rebellion? Uh, that uh, what, when he wants yibum, it's not rebellion. When it's yibum and it's not rebellion, she refuses to yibum, it's because we tell him, Go marry somebody else. Okay, the sister-in-law, you're not going to do even to, you can marry somebody else to have kids. So by Chalitza also. Uh, but, but we say that, we say that no, he might have a claim to say that, no. Um, but by Chalitza also, we should say, go, go marry somebody else. Uh, no, he might make a claim to say that, no, while she is, we're in limbo here. She refuses to do Yibam. She refuses to do Chalitza. I can't get married because nobody's going to want to marry me when they know that I'm, I'm stuck with this other person that it's still a limbo. Nobody's going to want to marry me. But that applies, says the Gemara, whether he's demanding Chalitza or whether he's demanding Yibam. He can't marry somebody else because she's refusing, she's refusing. The Gemara in the end comes to the following conclusion. In the end of the day, it depends. Really, he's coming and he's saying, I want to do Yibam. I want to do Yibam. Okay, that's what he's coming with the claim. And she's refusing to do Yibam. And the question is, do we want them to do Yibam or do we not want to do Yibam? And this is a very, very big question. Because according to one opinion, Abba Shaul, 
they can only do yibum if they have the right intentions. It used to be that they had the right intentions. The Tanan, it says in the Mishnah, What's better to do? And we'll conclude with this. Is it better to do Yibam or is it better to do Chalitza? So that is uh, not 100% clear. According to Abishol, there's an opinion that says it's better to do Yibam only if they have the right intentions, that they're not doing it uh, for any ulterior reason other than the mitzvah of Yibam. It's not to get married. It's not for their own pleasure. It's to fulfill the mitzvah of Yibam. So if that's the case, Yibam is better. So if, uh, if he's making, uh, if, the, if the brother-in-law is saying, I want to do Yibam, so then if she rebels, so then that's, a, that's viewed as rebellion uh, because they have the right intentions. At that point in time, they, they, at that stage, they had the right intentions uh, and therefore that would be viewed as rebellion. However, the later generations, they did it for the wrong reasons. If you're doing it for the wrong reasons, according to Abishol, so then we prefer Chalitza. So if she says, I, I, I don't want to do Yibam, that's not rebellion because it's really true. We don't want to do yibam. We prefer to do chalitza in these in the later generations because since they didn't have the pro- proper intentions, it's better to do chalitza. Happens to be in the end of the day, just on a practical note, uh, it's not so clear that we follow this position of Abishol that we care about that their intentions make a significant difference. Uh, for svardim nowadays, it's better to do yibam. Better to do yibam for Ashkenazim. We say it's better to do chalitza because it does depend on proper intentions, and we don't assume that people have proper intentions. So that itself is a, is a big, big discussion. Anyways, uh, that's the conclusion. Basically, in the end of the day, if she's uh, claiming that she doesn't want to do Yibam, and it's the later generations where we say it's better not to do Yibam because they'll have the wrong intentions, so then we won't penalize her. We won't put a fine on her. If it's the earlier generations where they did have the right intentions and they were able to focus and do it for specifically for the mitzvah, so then if she refuses to do Yibam, then that would be viewed as a rebellious act to refuse to do Yibam. Okay, we'll continue with the Gemara in the next class.